This is CliffCentral.com. People around me started noticing what is going on. This guy just like left university. He bought a car. He's now bought property. What's going on with him, you know? When Bitcoin peaked sometime back and the price hit an all-time high, many people thought it was a great way to make some quick money. You know, a get-rich-quick scheme. The news headlines were rampant with people who had made their fortunes because of cryptocurrencies, and it was hard to go into a social media network and not see some clickbait title urging you to invest with the possibility of becoming a millionaire. But Mpodagada did become a millionaire at the tender age of 21. How did he do it? Was it luck? Where did it lead him? We spoke to him, heard his story, and heard about his thoughts on the possibilities of a decentralized world, the power of technology, and a whole lot more. The Decrypto series is sponsored by Luno, Africa's first cryptocurrency platform. Mpoor Dagada has written a book called Mr. Bitcoin, How I Became a Millionaire at 21. And the first thing anybody says to me when they see this, because they've seen it on my desk, is, oh, my God, don't let people think that Bitcoin is a get-rich-quick scheme. (laughs) (laughs) It really isn't. I mean, that's not what the book's about at all. Definitely, yeah. But it's a very catchy headline. And to say Mr. Bitcoin, um, that's that's taking on one hell of a title. And to say how I became a a millionaire at 21, obviously people just, they light up. They go, sure, I've got to know how to do this. They really, really do. I think um, the, the truth of the matter is that um, it was sort of like a title that was sort of imposed on me to say, if the book's going to sell the way we want yes. it to sell, let's use this title. Rotten Publishers. <laughs> but um, I think the, the good thing about the title is that it gets the reader reading. And once the reader starts reading, they sort of realize that it isn't actually a get-rich-quick scheme, but it is actually a sort of like a story of what actually happened, how I discovered cryptocurrency and how I got involved with it so yeah the title can be a bit tricky but when you dive into it you realize it's more than that paul having read the book i found your story fascinating and it's very difficult for me in my words to tell your story in a precy but just to give people a little bit of background how did you discover cryptocurrencies and how did you become involved so basically what happened is um, I was at the University of Johannesburg studying and um, a lady asked me to buy Bitcoin for her worth 1000 She wanted to send her Bitcoin over to Russia for something. Um, I then told her, listen, this thing seems like it's a scam, but let me try and help you. Did some research, found a lot of Chinese blogs, didn't make sense. Um, and I didn't really understand what was going on at the time. So How long ago is this? This was in 2014. Hmm. So what happened is the lady sent me through her 1,000 rand. I then bought Bitcoin for her for 1,000 rand. And um, it was a struggle because at that time, no one really knew what this thing is. So I was sort of like navigating the system. You had no prior knowledge. You'd never studied tech. You didn't have any interest in financial institutions or any of that stuff. Not at all. Not at all. So it was just – I just – Dived into it. Um, and and this happened, woman, did you ever find out what she wanted to buy in Russia with Bitcoin? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> the story escalated. So what happened is um, I then started speaking to a Chinese man over a blog. And the Chinese man said, look, if you deposit this 1000 into my account, I'll send you the Bitcoin. So I deposited the 1000 rand in his account. And after straight sending him the proof of payment, he then replied to me and said, look, I've sent the Bitcoin over to you. Um, 
you know, the transaction sort of over. And at that moment, I thought, well, this is clearly a scam. You know, I've just yeah. sent him the 1000. He doesn't know my address, doesn't know where I'm sitting. And, and that's when the interest started. I sort of asked him, where is this uh, Bitcoin that you said? He said, it's in your wallet. You know, I literally took out my physical wallet from my bag <laughs> to try and find these Bitcoins. Um, nothing there. But I mean, from there on, I started trying to search out and find out what's going on. And what happened after that is very interesting. Um, 24 hours after that, the next day, the Bitcoin price jumped to 10,000. Um, and I sort of called this lady and said, how the hell did you know that if you did this 1,000 rand thing, the Bitcoin price would jump to 10,000 rand? And this lady said to me, she didn't actually know. Um, she just wanted to send 1,000 rand worth of Bitcoin to Russia. So she then said to me, well, listen, let's split the 10,000, give me 5,000, keep 5,000, and let's forget about it. Um, I obviously sent her the 5,000, but for me as a student, it intrigued a lot of things to say, how the hell did I make 5,000 rand overnight as a student? You know, um, and that's wow. where the, the the interest started. I then realized that look, this thing has got a lot of potential in it. And to cut the very long story short, I then started investing in, into Bitcoin. And it was in third year, in the third term, that I made a million rand with Bitcoin. Withdrew it into my account, and I sort of said, "Well, look, I've made a million rand. Let me leave school and focus on this thing." And it was in third year, third semester, just before my final exams, I decided actually I'm fine. Um, left school, and that's what I do currently. I go around educating people about crypto. Talking about cryptos. To get to that million rand, were you actively day trading? Actually not. I must be quite honest. It was, it was a thing of, I used that 5,000 to buy Bitcoin. I mean, at the time that I bought Bitcoin, one Bitcoin was around about 2,000 rand. So in my time, I sort of bought a lot of Bitcoin, kept them. And, mm. you know, it was sort of one day logging on to uh, my, my platform and noticing that, okay, I, I'm now worth a million. So, um, I, I, it wasn't active trading in the beginning, but after I made the million, I then realized, snap, I'm onto something. Let me actually start the trading. Um, and that's where sort of everything started. And now that's a great story for a number of reasons. And I mean, it's also a cautionary tale because you didn't know anything and you learnt on the trot and it didn't cost you anything because you kind of had a windfall right at the start and you made the smart decision of getting more involved. Yeah. Um, but obviously there are, there are stories of people, especially last year who bought thinking this is going to be great. I mean, I heard horror stories. I don't know if they're true. People mortgaging their house to buy Bitcoin and then suddenly the price halves and, you know, they're stuffed. Yeah. There have been a lot of horror stories going on. And I think, I mean, what, what happened to me is obviously people around me started noticing what is going on. This guy just like left university. He bought a car. He's now bought property. What's going on with him, you know? And, um, through a lot of inquiries that I started receiving, I then decided to open up a company, mm-hmm. invest in future currency where we educate people on cryptocurrencies and how to actually go about investing in cryptocurrency. And I think what, what made us Sort of open this company and sort of run with it. And I mean, now it's a fully fledged company with 16 people. And you know, what we do on a daily basis to assist people with this is because of those horror stories. People were sort of, um, sort of getting involved in the wrong way, not understanding what's going on. And I always say to people that, you know, you'll never really make money unless you know what you're doing because. Gambling is not the way to make money. No. Um, not casino, at all. So, casino always wins. Casino always wins, yeah. <laughs> so, um, that, that's what I do. We, we, we educate people on cryptocurrencies, how to get involved properly. I think that's that amazing because uh, people also have this patronizing attitude that, you know, young black South Africans who don't have a huge amount of income are never going to get involved in cryptocurrency. 
And you've kind of broken the mold there on your own, but you're breaking it for more people. Indeed, yeah. And I, and I think what's, what's very interesting is just to, even beyond the cryptocurrency, I mean, when we look at the underlying technology behind cryptocurrency being blockchain technology, we sort of start seeing that there's so much more potential for this industry. There's so much more potential for blockchain. So I think what, what I found very interesting is when people sort of come in and say, listen, what is this cryptocurrency thing? And so it's sort of discover that actually this blockchain technology and blockchain technology can do this and that. It sort of opens up a whole new world that people are, are not quite aware of. Um, and I think that's very interesting. I had a conversation with um, Tumelo Ramaphosa, who's working on his project. It's called Studix Coin. And what he's done is he's used a cryptocurrency model to sort of get people to invest in Buffalo, um, international investors to invest in Buffalo in South Africa. Right. And so obviously there's a real-world you know, element to this for people who, who, yeah. want, who want a, a traditional asset, so to speak, and they, they can buy it with you know, cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency, yeah. And I mean, the exchange happens very quickly. You can get a, you know, a huge whale in, in, in New York or wherever they are investing in it within seconds. Not only that, but they've also been charitable projects. Um, there's been a blockchain fund that's running currently where they open up water wells in different schools. And what you do is as an international donor, you sort of donate your money and then that project would then go on the blockchain. So everything will be transparent. So you of- don't end up with people taking it and it doesn't trickle down to the people you really exactly. want. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You you end up with actual projects that actually work. And I mean, it's it's going even further. I mean, as the world progresses, it's going even further even to music. I was listening to a very interesting blockchain project where they want to put music on the blockchain. So, for example, when you play somebody's song here in South Africa on Cliff Central, they're able to see, okay, exactly, my song was played on this date on Cliff Central. Right. That database is available for everybody. So when we talk about which is the most played song, it's just a matter of people logging into this blockchain technology and seeing it instead of some agency sort of saying, well, we have the sort of mechanism to sort of calculate and we, we only work with these sort of people. So, so how do you explain to someone who comes to you in your company, it says, I don't understand. First of all, I don't understand Bitcoin. Second of all, I don't understand blockchain. How do you explain it to them in the simplest terms possible? I, I always say to people that Bitcoin in itself was actually supposed to be internet money. So the question becomes, we're all connected on the internet through Facebook, through Instagram, through Twitter. But how do we transact on those platforms and how mm. do we make it instant? Because remember, when I send you a message on Facebook, it happens instantly. Yes. And uh, Bitcoin in itself is supposed to be internet money, which is able to to sort of pay the other person instantaneously for their services or goods or whatever the case mm-hmm. is. But I think what has happened over time is people have sort of said, well, we, we, we're we seeing this internet money sort of jump from nothing to 100000 or $10,000. Um, so clearly it's more than that. And that's when we get sort of different school of thoughts from there. People saying, well, Bitcoin is, is, is the new gold, you know. Yeah. Um, instead of us buying gold to hedge, let's now get involved with Bitcoin. But in its eccentric value, it's actually internet money. And, and the purpose of it is that, so that it can make transactions much more transparent, much more simpler. How do you explain the blockchain? The blockchain is then the bank of Bitcoin. And what the best way to explain this is sort of say it's a bank without transaction fees or rather a bank without people who are able to manipulate it doesn't things. have authority it doesn't have authority it's, it's decentralized a, it's every yeah everybody has a view into every part of the financials into every part of the financials and everybody has a say because i think the biggest issue has always been the fact that people don't really have proper opinions on things because they can't really see what's going on um you don't actually have an opinion on where your money is being invested as an investor because you don't know what the, what the bank is doing with your money mm. but once we've got a blockchain we're actually able to give you the power to say well mm, i don't like the decision i want to move 
remove it immediately because you're able to see everything as it happens in real time. So it takes away the sort of shadows that sort of limit a lot of stuff from different industries. Are we seeing in South Africa, in your opinion and in your business experience, are we seeing more and more people coming to the cryptocurrency market, people who normally would be outside the formal economy? Um, in South Africa, it's a bit tricky. I think in South Africa, we're seeing a lot of people that are, a lot of liberal people that are saying, well, I don't believe in the direction the company's going. Hence, I'm going to take my money and move over to Australia. And I'm going to do it quickly through Bitcoins. And, you know, mm. that's me. That's what I want to do. So we're seeing a lot of that. Um, instead of seeing a lot of, you know, people on the ground sort of getting involved. Because you wrote a chapter in your book called Stockfell to Bitcoin. And I thought that was a fascinating insight because, of course, the Stockfell is a way that, that many people in particularly township economies will uh, will save and will be able to spend um, over a period of time with a number of other people involved. Do you see any migration of that kind of money? I really do. Um, I mean, we, we've got a huge stockfell industry in South Africa, but I think just before we get to the stockfell, so there's a, there's a case study that Mark Zuckerberg did in Kenya, mm. and he was asking himself the big question of how do I get the world to become payment savvy. So he's already gotten the world to become social savvy in terms of we're able to socialize with one another wherever we are around the world. You know, okay. WhatsApp, Instagram, and Facebook do that. But how do you get the world to become connected in terms of payment? Mm. How do you get the lady in Kenya who's sort of sewing her beads to sell her beads to the guy in New York and um, the transaction makes sense? Because when you say to the lady in Kenya that, listen, the guy in New York is going to pay you through PayPal. So it takes seven days. You need to now go to your closest city, open up a PayPal account. She sort of says to you, I don't want to be interested in that. Yeah. So he's researched. Very complicated. His research was sort of, how do I get this lady in Kenya to sort of sell her beads automatically to the guy in, in um, New York, and it happens quite instantaneously. And if we look on Facebook, we'll notice a little marketplace going on. And if you look into the vision of Facebook and, 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 and that social media platform, they're sort of saying, we want to create a mobile commerce platform where instead of just us getting likes and comments on people's statuses, we want someone to click and say, hey, I want to buy your product. And Facebook is able to take a transaction from that which is not quite good, but I mean, it's better than what the banks are doing, but also able to get the person to benefit instantaneously. Mm. So the lady in Kenya would be willing to sell her bees to somebody if she could get a cryptocurrency that she can use in that moment to buy electricity or to buy more beads. And in a place like Kenya, we see M-Pesa, which is doing very, very well, which is sort of a USS code that people are mm -hmm. able to buy different things. So the future of that would be a cryptocurrency that will enable people on the ground to sort of send money to one another, which is not affected by governments or political situation. So the guy in New York in his boardroom who's designing his amazing boardroom can sort of get Kenyan beads shipped over to him. He's able to pay through cryptocurrency and it happens instantaneously. Yeah. And we have that record on Facebook to say this is a trusted person. They've worked with this person before. Um, people have commented on this person. But They've that, got their that's, friends. What's interesting here is that Facebook is the platform. I mean, that's what you're talking about in respect of the Zuckerberg discussion. So if Facebook's the platform, you've already got the marketplace. You really do. You've got yeah. all these people there. It's, it's fishing with a fisher. You really, really do. You've got two billion people. And I think for me, I wouldn't have loved, I, I would have liked a different platform to sort of be. Yeah, me the, too. The, I don't want Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> making any more money and I don't trust the guy. Exactly. Because I mean, he's going to be taking transaction fees of everybody. But what we do see is we see a new way of transacting that benefits both the person in New York and both the person in Africa. Mm -hmm. Whereas now what's currently happening is the person in Africa produces their good. They sort of can't get it to New York. So somebody comes and gets it, takes it to New York, whereas they don't actually benefit from their good, you know. Well, but, along um, the way, there are all these middlemen who mark it up. Exactly. 
exactly. And these middlemen tend not to benefit the person in Africa who's sort of selling the, their beads. They, they don't benefit anybody but themselves. Exactly. So, um, the I guy, think the guy at the end is paying more than he should because he's been marked up seven times along the way. And, and I mean, the biggest problem is his markup is not benefiting the product in any way. No. Um, and I think in, in having a decentralized economy in a decentralized world, we'll sort of get to that stage. And not only that, I mean, there are lots of solutions that cryptocurrency solve. Things are fake money. I mean, recently we had an interesting spike with the new Mandela notes. They were sort of saying, well, there's a guy who sort of created these fake Mandela notes and distributing them, you know. And you and I might not know which is the real Mandela note because it's new. How are we supposed to know? But when we speak about digital currencies, it's all in a blockchain. You can't actually fake can't it. Can't fake it. And there's um, there's scarcity. There's only so many Bitcoin. Only so many. And I mean, when we speak about the fake thing, there was a study done recently that they published that 20% of all United States dollar notes floating in Zimbabwe are all fake. <laughs> you know. But how would the Zimbabwean government know if they don't even produce United States dollar? This is stuff <laughs> produced in America. You know. So it, it it produces a new element to say we do have problems in the world, and cryptocurrencies are coming in to say we've got solutions to the problems that we have and given the right traction given and i mean this is the this is the reason why this is the big reason why sort of someone says doesn't make sense how can a bitcoin be worth 200 rand you know three years ago and today it's worth a hundred thousand rand you know and you sort of begin to say actually this is actually a solution to the many problems that we have and this is why bill gates is involved um yeah, this you is know, why everybody's involved this is why everybody's involved okay but there's still some people who really don't like this there's still some people who are really not involved and don't want any of us to be involved and they, they will do anything in their power to say oh this is bullshit don't go for it don't fall for it don't invest in it your money's not safe blah 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 who are those people and why should we ignore them those people are usually institutionalized people. And I think the reason why they're saying this is because they're trying to protect the system that it is in place. Because if you really notice, once we get to the stage where everybody's sort of decentralized and you have control of your money, banks sort of become... Irrelevant. Irrelevant. And I think people are afraid of that. People don't want people to have too much power because what happens is when you give the human being power, you sort of lose institutional power. Mm. So one, government might not be able to control people and their money. So it's interesting you say that because I had Lorian Gamaroff in here and we were talking about this and he, he's of the opinion that the future of, of the economy is going to be a cooperation between institutional, uh, formal, old-school economies and the new economy that you and I seem more enthusiastic about. I'm nervous about that because I think that the purpose of those institutions is to control. They're not actually terribly interested in your freedom to transact. That's very true. And I think um, they, they, they will do everything in their power. I mean, when we look back into history and we sort of see different changes, um, when we actually take it back, there was a kingdom where a king decided he's going to start using copper as a method of payment. Mm. This was back in the Barter Exchange mm. days. And what happened is we saw an evolution from copper to, to silver. And within that time, there was a lot of restriction to say, why are we now changing it to silver? And from that time, we saw another evolution from silver to gold. And within that time, there was a lot of restriction. So I I think what happens is when things sort of begin to change, those that actually have the power and those that are actually enjoying the system as it is, they actually restrict it a lot. But well, what we it's see like is politics, that right? I mean, in, in politics, the the greatest revolutionary becomes a conservative on the eve of the revolution. It really, really is. And I, and I mean, it's it's like everything else. It's 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 the New York reporter taking Facebook to court, saying, "Listen, we're now becoming irrelevant because people are able to read our news because somebody shares it in Facebook." The doesn't taxi do anything drivers about. complaining. About Uber. Exactly. Um, and I think 
the, the beauty of the decentralized world is that it gives everybody a fair and equal opportunity because we're all able to see what's going on. Um, it takes away from the fact of how did you make your money? We're all able to see how everybody made the money, how everything was running. And I think it, it, it brings everybody to a fair and equal playground. Well, um, Paul, you must have been privy to some interesting cases and some interesting stories because people will probably come to you with stories about businesses that they've been able to start that they couldn't have started without the availability of cryptocurrency or the internet. That's true, yeah. Um, I mean, I've, I've been on both sides. I've been on both the positive and the negative. I remember sure. there was a time in South Africa where um, kids were sort of kidnapped and the kidnappers were sort of demanding Bitcoin, um, you know, and they got a, ho- a hold of us, our company, and said, well, listen, how can you guys help in terms of tracing this, etc.? And I think for me what's been very interesting is the fact that we, we, we sort of find this disadvantage in the world. And, and I, I, I mean, I, I put it up as, as my Insta story today and I was asking a question to say, guys, if, if internet were free, what industries would sort of, you know, boom, you know? And I think it comes back to the fact that we, we, we're seeing the huge difference here. We're seeing those that are taking advantage and, and sort of using cryptocurrency. And we're also seeing those that are saying, well, I don't even want to get involved because I can't even afford, you know, airtime. Um, I can't even afford data and, you know, that sort of township entrepreneurs, et cetera. And I think for me, what I would want to see in all these cases, I would want to see what was, what's going to happen when the internet becomes free. I mean, Google sort of now placed 200 uh, mobile hotspots in Nigeria and they're saying, we're giving people free internet in return of them watching our adverts, um, which is Kind of fair, but also at the same time, we're like, hmm, Google, aren't you rich enough to give free internet in the first place? But we'll allow it, you know. <laughs> yeah, sure. But I think what will happen is we'll see more interesting cases um, and a bigger boom when internet becomes something that's very accessible to everybody. So uh, people will be asking, you know, are you still making money on, on cryptocurrency even in this uh, current price dip? I am through trading. I think what what is very good for me was that I actually learned the art of trading. And I think you can make a lot of money when you're trading cryptocurrencies because you 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 aren't really trading against bankers. Um, you're sort of trading against the layman on the street who knows nothing and who has not chosen to educate himself, which is an easy landslide um, when you know what you're doing. So um, I am making money, and I've got a lot of students that we've taught through through our cryptocurrency course on trading that are making a lot of money. And I think if people had to look closely, there's a big opportunity to make a lot of money because of the uneducated people that are sort of throwing their money at it without actually getting proper education. Thanks for listening to this episode of Decrypto, brought to you by Luno, the best platform to become educated on all things crypto. Luno makes it safe and easy to buy, store, and learn about cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum. Just visit luno.com forward slash decrypto and sign up to redeem the exclusive promo code if you've listened to this series. This is cliffcentral.com.